are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hey folks, Steve Angel here, and this week's episode is sponsored by both Bond and Nick's good friends, David and Tracy Belowski at St. Joe River Bows. Now, if you're thinking about a custom longbow or recurve, you owe it to yourself to check out St. Joe River Bows. Dave and Tracy have been making bows at St. Joe since 2009, where they started out making the St. Joe River Bows Classic model in both longbows and recurves. And then in 2010, they premiered their Torrent Recurve model. Now, often copied but never duplicated, this sweet little bow is offered in a 54 and 56 inch versions, and its smooth draw and snappy performance make it the perfect bow for hunting from a tree stand or a ground line. And if you're more of a longbow shooter like I am, well, they also make a torrent version in a longbow, which just so happens to be the bow my wife shoots today. Now, myself, I prefer the classic longbow, but all of their bows are amazing shooters, and all are available in numerous grip sizes and types to fit every shooter. If you're not sure exactly what you want, Tracy is more than happy to work with you to figure out which style fits you best. And don't forget about their kid and youth models that come with St. Joe's amazing trade-up program so that as your child grows, they can trade in their current bow towards a newer bow that better fits their needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy will still throw in a free St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchase. So when you call them up, be sure to tell them that you heard about them on the Traditional Outdoors podcast. Now let's get on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors podcast. What's up, Nick? I feel good, man. We just got out of camp together. Hell, it's been a bit, hasn't it? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's been what three days since I since I hit the road. I don't. Yeah, I didn't even see you when I left Sunday morning. I got up and I was out of there pretty early. But uh, yeah, it was a it was it was a great week. I, I had a I had a lot of fun, despite the fact that I about froze my butt off. But uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I know we were. We talked about recording this one while I was driving home, and and I know, and we're probably going to do some more of that. I think uh, some of the some of the future adventures that I'm planning, I'm just going to plan on keeping my my H6 recorder and a. I think I'm going to try the boom mic next because the the lapel mic just it just I just didn't like the recording. It was a lot of road noise, and by the time I got the the road noise uh, edited out um it left the the audio sounding hollow so i know you wanted to record this episode while i was driving home and have that little bit of a you know realism aspect to it but i just i really didn't want to do it again until i'd had some time to play around with some different setups and know that i was happy with the the recording i was getting on my side no i'm glad we did and i i wanted to do some thinking and and honestly i thought you sounded good in that episode i I didn't think you know for as far as a road episode is concerned i mean that i thought the audio was really good on that one i enjoyed listening to it it's always a trip for me to hear you do one without me and especially this was this was different because you were just basically talking to yourself (laughs) and for somebody i do that a lot yeah but well obviously because for someone that talks to themselves you were you you didn't like ramble or have a bunch of awkward pauses or anything like that um and i would have and i can honestly (laughs) say i didn't edit any content out of that that was uh other than i think i did some um right at the beginning i did some tests just check the levels and so forth but other than that all i all i truly did to that whole episode was clean up the the road noise i didn't i didn't cut any pauses or anything out in fact if 
there was probably quite a few ums and ahs in there while I was thinking. But man, I, I don't know. I thought you did pretty good. And you know, I, I we don't have to get too much into that one. But I had uh, you mentioned me a couple times bouncing stuff off, and I, I one of the things I really liked in there that you said is that we we shoot with the intention of bow hunting, and that really got me thinking about a lot of things because when I started into this. I, I didn't want to hunt. I, I just wanted to shoot a bow and because I had that stigma about hunting. And when I got my bow, it was pretty clear that there was two paths to go. In fact, I had this takedown regime in Pala, and I put like a, even though I was shooting with a cant, which seemed natural to me, I had like a stabilizer on it and like stuff like that, like a screw-in stabilizer uh, a rubber one. Heretic. And, <laughs> yeah, dude. And I had somebody told me I needed a wrist strap and, and all this stuff like that. And I was shooting with a can. Didn't make any sense. So it was, it was apparent to me right away that there was, there was two totally different setups and two totally different styles. And you could either shoot like a target archery style or you'd shoot with the intention of bow hunt. And I segued into hunting very quickly. Um, started in the summer, hunted in the fall. And I think that you know, I kind of fell into that. I had always, I had always wanted to shoot with the intention of hunting, whether I knew it or not. Like that's the style I wanted to shoot, if that makes any sense. Um, no, it, it, it does. I mean, it doesn't, I don't know that it necessarily has much of an impact on my, my style of shooting per se, unless you get into the, and like you said, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I mean, it's, it's, um, there's very few situations that I get into that I haven't practiced that shot or that, you know, we, we've talked about form and how I think form is definitely a good thing to a degree. Uh, but when it comes to bow hunting, you know, there's, there's in more often situations than not, you're not going to be able to get into that perfect form. You know, your feet shoulder width apart and your shoulders perpendicular to the target and all this stuff. Sure. It, it just, you know, there's, there's, there's just a lot of variables, um, but you know, you know, bending at the waist, even the extreme angles, and and twisting your body and so forth to to be able to make the shots when you need to make it. Um, and I know you're going to talk about. Um, don't want to steal your thunder, but you know, you you've hunted most of this past week from a tree stand, and that changes everything. It does because it's. Um, there's there's a lot of other factors that come into play so when i'm shooting a 3d course those are the kind of things that i'm thinking about and like i I think i even mentioned this you know gene bramlett myself um ted and i'll forget somebody's name a lot of people won't know who this is but some of them will mr clark and um god there's one other individual now i'm drawing a blank david grogan anyway when we get together and set the course a lot of times we set the targets at at angles because it it skinnies up the 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 rings on the target you know and you if you got a target broadside and your 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 12 ring is say an inch in diameter if you turn that target to a sharp corner and away that skinnies up that ring to you know maybe a half inch oh, or less yeah and, and we do that on purpose to add you know challenge but on most of the on those shots i, I could care less unless it's we have one we have one championship shoot, the last shoot every year. And if I'm going to try to turn in a, a, a card for score, then, yeah, I'll try to shoot at the ring. But 
most of the time I don't even do that. But most of the time I'm looking at going, if this was a hunting situation, where would I hit that animal? And then I'm trying to determine when I go pull my arrow, did, you know, did I place that shot so that I would have gotten the vitals even on that angle? I don't care about the score. And that's part of what really frustrates me when I see a lot of the things that I see and comment on. And we were talking about one today, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't even remember the context of it, but somebody said, asked something about, you know, what's the, what's your maximum range for, sh- for shooting whitetails? And it's in a traditional bow hunting group and just the responses. I mean, it's, you know, everything from, well, if you can keep the shots inside of a softball, you know, whatever range that is, that's your effective range. Effective range has nothing to do with it. In my opinion, when you're, especially when you're talking about deer, the reaction times of those animals, not to mention all the other variables that come into play, limbs you can't see, twigs you can't see, wind effect. I mean, there's just so many things that come into play when you start talking about taking shots beyond 20 yards. And personally, I'd much rather have them 15 and under. Mm-hmm. The The closer that animal is, the less chance that something's just going to go wrong. I mean, and it, it just boggles my mind some of the things that you see but did you bring into the fact that a lot of the people that are commenting, they're they're shooting foam or they're shooting targets. And yeah, you can shoot a target. I can shoot a target out to forty yards. Big deal. That target's not going to move. That target's not going to take a step. It's not going to, you know, uh, springboard when it tries to run and here's the shot of the bow. I mean, there's just I don't know. It's a lot of things. Like I said, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about that, but it's um, some of the things I'd seen just made for what I thought would be a fairly good and hopefully educational episode, just based off some things that I'd seen on Facebook and that I, you know, personally encountered in a hunting situation a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you know, to wrap it, wrap it up and kind of segue into what we're talking about this episode. Um, we do the same thing. I mean, I, I don't think I've scored a course at a shoot in seven years. I mean, I just, I, I don't, feel the need to and i shoot with bow hunters and whenever we you know we always make the target harder if we don't think it's if we think it's too easy and and we don't worry about that stuff and whenever we pull we say you know is that a dead animal or is it not and that's it and i know that's just how we do it and i'm not big into the you know ibo stuff and stuff like that and you know i used to be in a league where we kept score and i kept score then but I didn't like to, it kind of took something out of it for me. I know you're, you're competitive and you like to do that, but it just make it just gave me anxiety. So, yeah, but you know, you know what I, what I usually end up doing though. And, and, uh, you know, we have to, obviously I, I set the course. So whenever we're setting the course at our local club, I'm thinking of, you know, we're thinking about safety and we're thinking about, you know, where are the other targets placed and is there any chance that something could, you know, be in line, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of times when I shoot the course, especially with Brandon, cause Brandon shoots with me a lot and he'll, he'll kind of tell you about this and laugh about it. Um, especially if we shoot a second time around the course, you know, one of us is picking the shot. We're not necessarily shooting from the stake. You know, we may shift to the right or left, you know, four or five feet to add another variable of complexity. Maybe it's, you know, you're shooting between a couple of trees or it changes the shot angle, whatever it may be again, to add that additional challenge. And to me, that's more fun necessarily than scoring. It's, you know, how challenging can I make this shot and can I make it? And just like I was saying on the episode last week, you know, we have that 
um, we have that running pig target. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I saw that animal coming, that's the first thing that popped into my mind. And I said, you know, I know I could make this shot. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, there's real life. And then there's standing in your backyard in perfect condition, shooting at a stationary target. And the two are not the same. And I just wish more people would take that into consideration. So, yep, totally. But enough, like you said, enough of that, right? No, we got camp to talk about. I get to tell my story this week and I'm all kinds of excited. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I was definitely excited about it. I mean, I wish, and one of these days, I don't, I don't think it'll be next year (laughs) because, you know, Tom and I've got quite a few adventures planned. Um, there's still hope, but I can't really talk about that now cause it's, it's kind of work related, but, um, I really want to come up there one, one year and spend a whole week doing nothing but hunting, um, some of the public land up there. Cause every time I go, it's, you know, you've got three days at best. The last time I was there, I don't think we got in, but about a day and a half of hunting because of the weather. Um, and it, you know, it, it puts a lot of stress on you and pressure on you but uh i was up there for a week tom and i managed to get out and hunt another uh sga on sunday we hunted uh allegan yep and you know other than that monday tuesday wednesday i was i had to work so i was working from tom's place and and then got out to camp but um i will you know this was kind of cool um and then we can really kind of get into the you know talking about our camp but um Tom had sent me a couple of different areas that we could hunt without going to, you know, our, our normal SGA that we hunt every year. And, um, this Allegan, he, you know, he said, I think that would be our better option. And I, I pulled it up on topo maps. And the first thing I thought was, well, you don't have to, there sure isn't any way to get very far away from roads on this because I've never seen so many roads crossing a, a piece of property in my life. Um, but I did manage to find what I thought was a, a real good natural, couple of natural funnels that was really close together. Um, a lot of that WMA is fairly flat, but, you know, there was some, some terrain features that just kind of stood out at me. And I think I figured Tom and I'd be, you know, a couple hundred yards apart. And uh, we walked in Saturday, Sunday afternoon about 2 o'clock. And uh, I... I as we're walking through, I said, Tom, this is that, that first area. If you want to, you know, pick you a tree here, I'm going to go on to the second area that I'd picked out and, you know, we'll meet back here at dark. So I split away from Tom, walked the other, you know, 150 yards or so, picked out a tree, uh, you know, got climbed up, got settled in, pulled my bow up. I pulled my phone out to tell Tom I'd, you know, I was settled in and son of a gun, he'd already sent me a text 13 minutes after he <laughs> sat down, he had a buck come in. So, uh, that felt pretty good, you know, yeah. just pick something out on map and then have something that quick. Me, on the other hand, I saw nothing. Um, have you ever hunted that, that W, that SGA at all? I have not. I have not. The first time, I mean, I knew it was there, but that's the first time I'd ever heard anybody hunting it that I knew. Um, so no, I, I haven't. I should look into it though. It's not that it far was, away. There there was a lot of sign. I'll just leave it at that. There was the, and you know, we only saw one area, but it was, it was loaded with sign. How, uh, how hunted uh, is it? Do you think? I mean, it was we there... saw a few vehicles, but you know, I, I would say, you know, for a Sunday afternoon compared to even what I see here, I didn't see that many vehicles, but again, it's just weird the way that that property is, is 
accessible because there's there's dirt roads crisscrossing everywhere. I mean, it it like I said when I first looked at it, I was like, wow. If if you and it's obviously more than that, but it felt like if you walk you know two hundred yards, it's that's as far as you can get away from the road because then you're going to be getting closer to the next road. <laughs> but it wasn't quite that bad. But you know, it it did have a lot of uh, a lot of access. But like I said, we. When we stepped, when we left the car and walked into the woods, I don't think we went 20 yards before I started seeing deer sign, fresh scat, um, you know, hulls that I could tell it from acorns that uh, deer had popped off, you know, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah, it seems to be a lot of, and I was shocked that I didn't see anything. I thought I really had a an amazing spot picked out, and it could have been. It just I was there the wrong day. Yeah, that's. I think I need to look into that. Um, I, I kind of haven't kind of just been a creature of habit the last couple few years. So, right. But I should look into it. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the next time I come up, if you're in the same situation where you've got some vacation time, we can just maybe take a day off and go out there or something. We'll just have to wait and see. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, where our camp is, it's usually pretty, this is usually kind of a dead week. And that's one of the reasons why we, we pick that week. Um, but it was really, there was a lot of people this year. Um, not so much see, during the week and you, you didn't see anybody. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see, I didn't see a soul anywhere I hunted. Oh. I mean, I saw a pe- few people parked, you know, I think Saturday. Yeah. Saturday I saw a few people parked driving, you know, back and forth, but I didn't see a soul. Well, you're, you're dealing and, and nobody was back there and I don't know why. Um, it, it is kind of a walk, um, that might have something to do with it, but well, no, not even. I'm talking about even the 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 area that I hunted. Um, when uh, let's see, Thursday and Friday, I saw not one vehicle. Hmm. Interesting. Um. So you know, and that's the funny thing. So first of all, before I jump ahead, I do want to. I, I, I did. There was one quick shout out. I want shout out. I wanted to give. Um. Before we came into camp. Uh, Derek Sheehan and his wife actually met Tom and I for lunch. Uh, I think that was Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember now, but Monday, I think. And, uh, he brought, he came bearing gifts and brought me and Tom both, um, some stropping blocks that he had made. And one of them, one of them I really have found (laughs) very effective and very cool. He, he took one that's probably a two inch by one inch, height block maybe 18 inches long and on one side he's got just normal leather with a uh, polishing compound rubbed into the leather and then on the other side it's it's true latigo leather and i will say this just within i don't know 20 minutes that afternoon sitting at my desk um, with my, my packer from lucas forge i believe i got that knife the closest to being as sharp as it was when it came from Lucas that I've ever had. So I just, Derek, huge shout out. I truly appreciate it. I really do. Um, but anyway, the back to the, back to the area we were hunting. Um, yeah, I don't know you guys. I hear you guys talk about the, you know, the, there's a lot of hunters and I'm not saying there's not, but for it being public land, um, I really don't see it being all that crowded. I mean, I've seen places here in Georgia a lot more crowded than 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 what I've seen there. Um, 
and maybe I am just in the however you want to look at it. I could be in the right place or the wrong place, but um, I know that the area that I hunted fr- uh, Thursday, Tom ended up. I, I I had picked out a spot that I thought would be good for Tom, and I, I already had a spot where I'd shot a buck back in 2017 that I wanted to hunt. I saw nothing, and Tom. I got to figure out I, next time I hunt with Tom, I'm gonna pick Tom's spot, and at the last minute, I'm gonna switch with him because um, he ended <laughs> up seeing I think eight eight deer that that first day um and had a couple of smaller bucks within range and passed on them but uh i hunted the whole day and i about froze to death i woke up cold because i I was (laughs) i didn't have enough to keep warm at night so when i you know i was cold all night wednesday night and then hit the stand thursday morning and i was i never did get warm uh yeah, I you, think uh, I sent you a text. You you sent me a text at like ten or eleven a.m. that day, and we're like, "I'm freezing," and then you stayed in the entire day and didn't come out till that night. And I was like, "I don't know how you made it, but that must have been some indomitable will for you to be able to have made it that long." Because I was pretty cold, and I mean, I had plenty. Well, I had plenty. Well, my the reason why I was cold though is because we were we were trekking in you're doing a lot of walking and uh, not that you weren't, but I'm a bigger guy and uh, I'm not used to hiking a tree stand in either. So I was sweating quite a bit. So when I got there, you know, once you get, once you get sweating and once you get up the tree, I was sweating a lot and then I was just getting cold. So, you know, and that's even going in without my outers on, you know, I'm, it's just something that'll probably get better in time. You and I talked about that um, as I get used to it. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I sweat I, pretty easy though anyway. Um, and I can, I can probably make some recommendations there for you now, but now I will tell you this. Well, and so everybody understands I left 70, 75 degree weather and, you know, basically flip of the switch. It was that we had snow flurries, uh, Thursday morning and, uh, the thermostat in my car said 28 degrees. So it was, I mean, that was a, that was a 50 degree, 50 degree change. But, mm-hmm. um, so a couple of things that I should have done, I should have carried one extra layer. I didn't, I thought I would, you know, I thought I'd be fine. I carried, you know, I went in with my, just my, um, my normal hunting pants. I did have on a, a light set of base layer, Merino wool, uh, 190 weight. And then for uppers, I had a t-shirt and a, uh, just a thin, uh, compression shirt, no, no insulation whatsoever. That's how I walked in. And then I had uh, a few extra pieces of clothes. I had my vest that I love. Um, that, that Madison Creek vest is amazing. Um, but I carried my camera equipment. So I sacrificed additional clothing to carry my camera gear in. And then once I got back in there, even once I found a tree that my sticks would the strap on my sticks would fit around. Once I got up in the tree, it was too big for my camera base. So I carried all that camera gear in and then couldn't even use it. And because of that, I didn't have enough clothing. And on top of that, I think the high that day was 35 and it was 12 to 15 mile an hour winds all day. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, now here's the part I, I didn't tell you. And I did stay all day. Um, I sent Tom a text I want to say it was around, this was before the time change. So this was, you know, 
four o'clock, still three hours, three and a half hours of, of shooting light left. And I sent Tom a text at four and said, Tom, I don't, I just don't know if I'm gonna be able to stand it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really cold at this point. And, um, I don't remember what happened. I think I actually, you know, did some, basically some stomach crunches in the stand, just some isometric stuff and got some blood flowing and, and got warm enough that I could make it. But then about 6.30, it was one of those decisions that I'm either going to have to come out of this tree now or if I stay till 7 o'clock, there's a good chance I'm going to be so cold I can't I can't get out of the tree. I mean, I'd, I'd really just, my body temperature had dropped to the point where, um, you know, it was, I was, my jaws were, my jaws were hurting cause my, my teeth had been shattering, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I was, I was cold. Um, and here, the funny part was, I, you know, I'd been trying to sit, sit still pretty much the whole day. And, uh, I stood up to start getting my, my gear together and dude, I realized all of a sudden I'd sat there and drank, uh, 20 ounces of coffee over the course of the day and probably about another 20 ounces of water. And I, I had, I did, uh, if I hadn't peed out of that tree stand before I started climbing down, my clothes would have been wet because I'd never made it to the bottom. <laughs> I I swear to God, I felt like I was standing there peeing for a minute. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that was um, that was the last day I carried camera gear. Let me just put it that way. I carried some extra clothes instead the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, and I... Uh... Like I said, I'll get that figured out. I, I hiked in my outers and didn't wear my wool hat in, but, you know, it'll get better in time. But uh, it was kind of a, it was kind of a camp of firsts for me because I, I decided to make a commitment to hunting with the tree stand the entire time. Part of this is because of John Bouchine. John got a tree stand and got some sticks, and we always hunt on the ground. And, uh, he said this year he wanted to, he wanted to go have a go of it with the tree stand. And I said, all right, I said, I'll do that too. I got my setup all ready to go and no better time than the present to get out there and do it. So I haven't had a whole lot of practice with it and it was good for me to get that out there pretty much every day, every sit. Um, I think there was a couple sets I sat on the ground, um, just because I was pretty sore after a couple of days of hiking that thing in. And I just, I'm like, I'm not dealing with it this morning. I want to go out and be dry and, and pop a squat and find a blind and, and go that route. Um, but I think it went pretty well. It was pretty rough the first couple of times, but you know, once I got my, my system down and I started working slower and more methodical and started cutting stuff I didn't need and, you know, kind of figuring stuff out, you know, it went pretty well. And I, I, I'm going to hunt with a tree stand a lot more in the future. Um, I, I enjoy it. Um, I might get some new sticks. We talked about that a little bit. You and I, um, I, I'm a big guy. Uh, as most of you probably know, if you haven't met me, I'm a big guy. I'm like, I'm six, four, I'm like two seventy five, and got really big feet. And I also have a lot of, you know, old football injuries and stuff. So I, uh, you know, when I go, I, I, you know, I got my feet cramp up and, and my knee, my right knee's not good. And, you know, my right shoulder and, and stuff like that. So, um, it's pretty awkward for me to go up and down a tree and I really don't like the way the sticks I've got right now, which are the, those are the lone wolves, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. That, that they're staggered. I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of that. I, I, I like, 
a stick on each I like a, a footstep on each side the whole way up and I think that'll do wonders for me um, so I might try some Hawk Heliums. Um, I really like those. John bought those, and I really kind of dig them. Um, so that's one thing I'm going to make a change with. I think that'll be that'll be helpful. Um, I'm definitely not going to wear rubber boots again going up and down the tree. That was a bad idea, especially my rubber boots are more like a, you know, they're not a, like a farm tread. They're not like a, they're not a real hiking tread leather, you know, boot or anything like that. They're just a, and once things got wet and, and it just was bad. It was a bad situation. So that's another thing I won't be doing, which will make things a lot easier. Um, well, you got those You got those lone wolf sticks from me for a reason. From me, excuse me, for a reason. <laughs> I hate them. Because you, um, you wanted me to fall? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you got, the, if I'm not, I can't remember if I sent you the pair that I got at the, um, we have a, we have stores here called Bargain Hunt where you actually basically it's stuff that's, you know, been uh, lost in the mail or stuff like that. And they get them for discount and then they throw them. I, I can't remember if the pair I sent you were those or if those went somewhere else and you had the original pair that I had. But anyway, all the same things that you're talking about. I mean, I, I, my feet aren't, I don't think my feet, what size boot do you wear? 14. Yeah, see. 13, I, 14. I, I, I wore a 12, 11 and a half to a 12 and same thing. It was just, I hated, I, it seemed like I was always having to flip that step to the other side. I didn't, I like being able to, and I'll talk about this in a minute because I think it's something that, that will potentially help you with regards to this, the overheating and stuff like that when you're climbing. But I like being able to keep both of my feet at the same level uh, while I'm, especially when I'm hanging my sticks. Uh, and you know, as far as the rubber boot thing, don't necessarily discount that idea yet. Wait till you get a pair of sticks with a, you know, a double step because that changes it a little bit. I mean, I, I honestly hated trying to climb those long walls with rubber boots on and quit doing it. I've actually, you know, slipped off a few times with muddy boots and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but you were talking about, you know, learning as you go and that kind of thing. And, you know, Part of the reason that I try to get out during the, the summer and, and walk with a weighted pack is because I'm carrying a pack and a st stand and sticks and camera gear and all that stuff. Um, but, and I think I mentioned this to you in camp, but what I found over the last few years that really helped me more than anything else was truly developing a confidence in my lineman belt that it was mm -hmm. the lineman belt is the best tool you've got. Um, and I don't even know what kind of lineman belt you have, but I tried a couple of different built, ones. So I built one basically after Jason Sam Koviak's video. And I'd kind of used something very similar to that before, but, um, you know, where you're, instead of a belt, it's really a, 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 a rope for climbing mm -hmm. and I've gotten a sender on it. Um, and a carabiner on each end. And, you know, when I, when I put up one stick, depending on which sticks I'm using, I'm either stepping on, um, the middle, like my Hawks have two, three sets of steps and I'm, I stop on the middle step to hang my next stick and getting to the point where I was comfortable enough and confident enough in my safety harness or my saddle and that lineman belt 
to hold me in place so that I just do whatever I need to do with both hands and I'm not trying to hold on to the tree or hug the tree or any of that stuff. And honestly, you know, before you get hot and sweaty, you can just kind of stop there and sit there for a minute and catch your breath and, you know, uh, keep from getting overheated. And it makes a big difference um, as far as being able to get up into your stand and not be sweating or, you know, already getting your your base layers um, wet. Now, obviously, if, if that's going to happen, then I would strongly recommend, I don't know how much merino wool you use, but that's another thing that helped tremendously is going to, I wear just a, the, my base layers, both my, just my regular boxers and my, my t-shirt, the first thing I put on, all of that's merino wool. Oh, and wow. it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I use a, I use a merino layer. I use a, um, I have a couple merino layers. Um, and I use those, but yeah, I don't, I don't have boxers or a t-shirt that's merino. That that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean it's it's um I've been using the so let me back that I'll back up a little bit here in you know at the start of our season we're dealing with eighty five ninety degree temperatures here and during that time of the year I'm just using a standard um, wicking you know compression style underwear and t shirt I don't do the merino that early um, sure. but once it starts getting once it starts getting any kind of coolness in the air. Uh, that's when I'll switch to the merino because I know I'm going to sweat some. It's usually not that much, but it is some, and I know that it'll pull it away really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing here. I use the polys when early in the year, and then I switch to that. Um, I don't need much early in the year, but yeah. So, like I said, there's some stuff, and I and I agree with you on the lineman belt. That got a lot better as it progressed, as the week progressed. And actually that night I went out with you and Tom, that was my best one ever. Like I got up in one shot, didn't have a problem. I sweated a little bit going on, going in, but I didn't sweat going up the tree. That really wasn't that big deal, big a deal. And I got down super fast. So I didn't have any issues there. So um, your, your lineman that you're using now, is it a rope with like a prussic knot or something? Yeah, there? it's a rope with a prussic knot. And, um, oh, okay. and I switched to that about midway. I was using a normal Lyman belt and then John and Jamie built me one out of that. But honestly, the rope, I don't, I don't, the rope, it's not as thick as I'd like it to be. Um, so I, I kinda, it's like a rope and paracord deal. And I was kind of like, eh, I need to get something I really trust. So, yeah. um, I'm going to do that. Uh, but I went back to the normal lineman belt that I had and, and it's definitely harder to get that nylon up the tree and down the tree than it is like that seatbelt material. Um, it gets, if you got a shaggy tree, it gets hung up, I noticed, and it just makes things kind of more difficult where that rope, you can maneuver that rope super easy. Um, you're not, well, and not, and not to mention once you get rid of that press, it can go to an ascender and you can actually adjust the link with one hand. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the Prussics, I mean, it works great, it, but you it can't does. adjust that with one hand. And the buckle's worse. The buckle was worse on that other lineman belt where you're just like, you know, you have to stop and you have to do that. And yeah, I mean, I just, I didn't dig it. Um, right. But the cool thing about it is, is that, you know, you can watch a million videos and you can watch people do it, but you really got to do it yourself. I mean, you got to see how it feels and what works for you. And after a while, I, I started feeling really good about it. So I, I, I think I've added that to my arsenal. I'm going to do that more often, and it should help me out a lot around here. 
um, just because of the the more I can see and and just you know everything like that. It's just I, I I was really really pumped about it. I came out of the weekend feeling really confident about it. So, you know, and, and honestly, the hardest part of the whole weekend was figuring out my bow toe. <laughs> Because I got figuring out your what my 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 bow toe the, the rope to get the bow up the tree. Oh, oh, oh gotcha, gotcha. Because no matter what I did, and and you know, John Tom showed me a really slick system where he has it on his pack and it un and it unravels, you know, as he's walking up the tree, going up the tree. And I found what works for me is just having a um cutting the cutting the length, basically figuring out what how high I like to be and cutting the length of rope for that, and then giving myself maybe a couple more feet, but I had these billowy linemen, these billowy tow ropes that were just getting caught on everything. I think the first time I went up the tree, I got, I got everything up there. I was a mess and I had, the bow was actually somehow tied to the ground. Like it got wrapped around (laughs) a sapling and I couldn't move it. And I had to get all the way back down and do it. And then the last set of the weekend I did the same thing. I got it caught. I couldn't, the other one, I, for some reason, I didn't have it. And I used the, my backup and I, uh, I got it caught midway up the tree on a rope and half of the, half of it was below and half of it was above attached to my stand. And it was, it was caught right in the middle and it was just a mess. So I hate those. So I, I when once I got the paracord deal going, I made one out of bright orange paracord, and, it, and it's just long enough for me, and it doesn't get knotted as easy, and it's it worked a lot better. But yeah, I had to kind of figure that out. Like that was I'm the kind of guy that kind of has to do things. I can't I can't just like take somebody's word for it. So yeah. So I will. I'll tell you. You know, there's there's several things I would tell you. You know, over the course of the next year. You know, don't. The biggest mistake you can make, especially right now, is once this deer season's over, putting your stand up for getting, you know, for getting oh, back no. till next year. Not going to do that. Um, but like, you know, I've gotten to, and I'll talk about the pull up rope too, because Tom, I know Tom's method, and I, I tried it, and it didn't work that well for me. I still do some things very similar, but, um, you know, I go when I go to a tree, I put my first stick on the tree, um. I've got little paracord loops that I've made in my harness that I strap two of the sticks that I um, need to the to my harness, one on each one on my left side, one on my right side, and my stand goes on my back. My pack and my bow stay on the ground, mm-hmm. um, and I take the second stick in my hand up with me because I'm just stepping up on the first stick, right? Yep, I do that too. Um, I strap that one in, and then as I go up the tree, I'm carrying my, my top two sticks, my stand, and what I do with the rope is I attach it to my har- my harness too, kind of around the back where it's out of the way, and I pile up. I literally strip out my pull-up rope so it's piled up right on top of my pack. Now, on the end of my rope, I've got two carabiners. I've got a, a larger one and a smaller one. The larger one clips on the handle of my pack and the smaller one clips on my bowstring and it's really small. It's, it's like a one inch carabiner Mm -hmm. and the, the rope for my bow is about two foot long. So when I pull my pack up off the ground, it leaves first and then my bow follows it. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And with piling the rope up on top of the pack, as I go up the tree, 
instead of it pulling out of my pack where it could pile up, move around and get hung on other things, I'm lifting it right up off the coil where it's piled up on top of my pack and there's a lot less chance it's going to get tangled up into something else. So just something, you know, wow. I understand what you're yeah. saying. You need to practice it, but, you know, play around to see what works for you. And, you know, I think once you get some sticks that you trust and definitely get a, a lineman belt with an ascender, you know, by next year, I think you'll be in a lot better shape. But, hey, you know, it worked. Like I said, you only hunted on the ground one time this, this yeah. past week. So yeah. you were making it work for you. Yeah, I did. I I. I got a little scatterbrained at the end there, and and we'll talk about my hunt here in a second. My final <laughs> hunt of the thing that was a complete that was a complete disaster. Which was it was honestly back to back of the best that I had the night with you and Tom as far as efficiency. And the night before that, I did real well too. I was hunting with John and, and did another area, and I actually sat higher in that one. And um, that was a real good set too. I got up and down really easy. But the last one, I kind of phoned it in in too many ways and. And it wouldn't, wouldn't you know it, that was the one that I needed it the most. Um, yeah. But including, like you said, slipping off, I actually slipped off that. A couple of those lone wolf stands, uh, sticks, actually, they kind of, they've come to slant down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I've had to switch them over so that they're slanted up instead. Um, and some of them don't want to do that. They're kind of bent. So... I hit that. I, I put the one that's got the slant down that I can't do anything about as the very last rung uh, coming down the tree, which I hardly need. Right, but right, right. I also have to step up on that one to put the next stick up. So that's the first one I have to do. So I slipped on that and hurt my groin pretty good. So that hurt real bad for a couple days. Um, but it also really made me angry. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it'll it'll definitely do that. But anyway, other than that, you know, I, I think it was a success. I mean, I had, I, I had a blast, you know, I just saw more. I saw some deer. I saw, you know, three or four deer and, you know, including the last one. So, well, and I, and I, and I do want to get into that. So we'll, we'll, we'll lead in, we'll lead, I'll lead up into that a little bit and and I'll, I'll kind of let you take it over. Um, I was, you know, this, this time frustrated me a bit, um, so first of all, I will say I've hunted Michigan three times now. And every time I've hunted Michigan, I've seen, I've seen deer. Um, the first year I hunted, I had that really nice eight or 10 point that came in. I was hunting on the ground and of course it comes in on the downwind side and it caught my scent literally steps before I could have made a shot. Um, 2017, I shot that, you know, four point um and all i saw that weekend was was bucks and then this year uh i didn't see anything that sunday uh the thursday of our camp i hunted all day i didn't see anything i went back to the same area friday morning didn't see anything uh came back to camp and told you you know I, i really wanted to get to spend at least one day hunting with you and um the area that that we have hunted in the past, you hadn't hunted in a couple of years. I don't think, um, nope, I have not. So anyway, we, we headed back in there and I went to a spot I've hunted in the past and kind of the same thing. A lot of, a lot of good signs. So I hung my stand there. And actually when I left, uh, Friday night, I left the stand, I took the sticks down with me, but I left the stand in the tree and planned to hunt it again. Um, Saturday, the last day, Saturday morning. 
Um, so Saturday morning we drove up there and we left the vehicles way before daylight. I was actually in my stand probably a good 30 minutes before, uh, shooting light and, uh, was finally getting acclimated to the, the cold. I actually didn't get cold Saturday morning. I was kind of proud of it, but, um, <laughs> about nine forty-five somewhere in there, I hear, hadn't seen anything, but I hear crashing and I turned around and I caught deer running off of a ridge into some really thick cover about, I don't know, probably about 80 to 100 yards from where I was set. And I think I texted you. I know you, me, you, and Tom had a group text going, and I'm pretty sure I sent y'all a text and said, you know, just had a, a buck chase a doe. And I would have sworn that's what it was. Everything in me would have sworn that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. And just a couple of minutes after that, I catch movement again. And I'm sitting there staring, and I see, you know, a deer moving through the brush. And I'm thinking, oh, he's, he's you know, he's pushing her back this way. And I figured if, he, if, if that was what was going on, there was a really good chance they were going to pass in front of me because of the, just the way I was set up and the sign that I had in front of me. And I'll leave it at that. Sure. Um, and then I see movement behind the first deer and I'm thinking, yep, that's exactly what's happening. So I'm, you know, at this point I'm standing up and I'm, I'm ready for action. And then all of a sudden that, that lead doe grew horns <laughs> and, or antlers, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm going, that's a buck in the front. What the heck's going on? And I thought, well, did the, is the buck ahead of the doe and it kept working its way towards me. And then the, the other deer moved out into an opening and that deer had antlers. So I said, you know, it's, it's two bucks. And not only did it have antlers, it was a nice buck. And they kept milling around, milling around, moving my way, moving my way. And I had, you know, the location where I was planning to shoot picked out. So I'm, I'm set up, I'm ready to go. And that buck kept coming in and was going to pass by at maybe 12 yards was going to be the shot that I had. And before, I guess about eight yards before it got to that point, you know, you just know when a deer knows something's not right because it had, you know, it was just kind of feeding along, feeding along. And all of a sudden it's weird. It snapped its nose off the ground till its head was maybe a foot off the ground and just locked right there. Just like, you know, you almost could just see it was saying, Oh crap, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there watching it and I've got a, I've got a shot. It's not a great shot. I would rather had it in the spot it was coming to cause it would have been slight quartering away. Just perfect. And this was really more of a broad dead broadside shot. And I'm sitting there going, this deer is about to bolt. And I still wish I had just waited. But I thought, you know what? It's going to bolt. I know I've got a shot to the vitals. It's broadside. And I couldn't shift in my stand. Because this goes back to that whole thing about your 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 form and everything being perfect. So instead of trying to move in the stand, I just twisted you know, at the waist and picked a spot. And I drew back, and when I let go, I felt the bottom limb smack my leg hard. In fact, it left a it left a bruise about the size of a quarter on my on my calf. 
And that arrow came out of that bow, looked like a Scud missile. That thing was wobbling. It was just all over the place. <laughs> just, and I was, I cursed myself so bad for taking that shot. I should have waited. Even if he had a, even if he had a, if, cause you know, everything happened so fast. If he had a thought he caught, and I think he smelled where I walked through the night before. I don't think he, he winded me, but he knew something was different. And there's a good chance that he would have turned a quarter turn and gave me a perfect quarter and away shot and would have given me a chance just to shift my feet a little bit. And I just, I rushed it. I just completely screwed up. But, uh, Anyway, so that afternoon I didn't I didn't go back. Um, I said, you know what? I'm I'm disgusted. I saw oh, and I ended up having a couple more bucks come in that morning too. So I think I ended up seeing four bucks that morning. Yeah, you were busy. Uh, I didn't see anything. Yeah, two that the big the big ten, um, two fours and a, a spike. Um, but anyway, I got back to camp and everybody else was coming back in and you know everybody was talking about where they were going and. Uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to pack my gear up and I'm just going to rest. I'm, I'm pretty much worn out at this point. And, uh, after the results I had that morning, I just said, you know what, that's, that's, I'm good. But, uh, <laughs> and then you surprised me with where you were going to hunt and I will, I will basically let you take over from there. Yeah. Well, you know, one comment Michigan bucks appear to be your white whale. So you'll have to, it'll just keep you coming back, uh, among this other is things. true. But, um, yeah, so that kind of, yeah, after hunting with you and Tom that morning and not seeing anything, I really well, really wasn't sure what I was going to do that evening. And you weren't hunting, so I wasn't going to go back to where we were. And basically what we're hunting, we call it the bowl, but it's basically just a big, just a big drainage. Drainage. Yeah, that's all it is. Um, I love hunting it. It's my favorite place to hunt ever. Uh but yeah, I haven't hunted it in a few years. Um, so anyway, um, I talked to Tom and I was like, well, what are you doing, Tom? Uh, John was going to go hunt a piece of private land. Um, we'd were, and, and John and I had hunted really hard the last few days. Like we had done a lot of hiking. We had uh, committed to the tree stands. So we were pretty tired and sore from doing that. And, um, you know, he, there was a lot of people in the woods Saturday on the places he likes to hunt. So he was kind of just discouraged. So he went with, um, Robin friend of the show, Bob Bones. And, uh, <laughs> who did shoot a deer this, this he did, he time. shot a deer. In fact, he shot a deer his first day in camp. Yeah. Shot a nice, nice, buck. nice size little, it was a four point, but it was a nice body size deer. Nice buck. Um, yep. and, uh, and John Mudry. So they went to, uh, they went to a, a piece of property and they hunted over there. So I really didn't have anything to go anywhere to go. And I asked Tom what he was going to do. And he said, I'm going to do what I never do. And I'm going to stalk tonight. I'm going to start from the road here and I'm going to go all the way around. We had a field right across from camp, right and across from camp, right across from camp. And it's literally, <laughs> you cross the road, you're in the field, there's woods around it. Um, so, and it's just a normal grassy field. There's nothing in there. Like it's, but, but deer love to hang out there. You know, I bet you it's a popular shining spot because there's a lot of deer tracks in there. So anyway, Tom's like, I'm going to walk around this thing and I'm going to go as slow as I can. And I'm going to get to the other side at dark. And I said, well, huh? 
I wonder, I'm like, what if I just go set up in that corner on the opposite side? You know, I'm like, what can it hurt? The wind was right. So he's like, yeah, do that. Maybe I'll push something to you. I said, all right, well, I'll go do that. So I got my stuff and, you know, I kind of, I kind of rolled out there, you know, at around four o'clock and I got out there and everything went wrong. I, I got in, I got the tree I wanted. That was all good. Um, that I had the tow rope fiasco and, uh, then I had, I slipped, I slipped on that bottom rung and I, um, the other thing I did, was I forgot my knife. I forgot my flashlight and what else did I forget? Forgot something else. Oh, I forgot a face mask. I forgot, like I didn't have anything. Like I just had my, I had my bow. I had what I needed to kill a deer, but nothing else. So Thankfully, my car wasn't far. I mean, you're talking 200 yards, maybe, maybe if Something that, like that, if that, you know, back to my car, which was parked on the edge of the field. So I'm like, well, it's all right. You know, I'll, I'll just go back and get my stuff. But you know, the flashlight thing, I figured I'll have to get down a little bit before dark so I can at least see, you know, before pitch dark. So I don't fall out of the stupid stand. So I had that on my mind the whole time. Uh, but once I got up there, you know, I, w- I was sitting up there and, and I was enjoying myself. You know, I didn't, I didn't even really hear anything. I didn't hear any squirrels. I didn't hear anything. So it was a really dead set. And I figured I phoned this one in. This is nothing's going to happen here. In fact, I almost got down an hour before light and just headed back to camp to talk to you because I honestly, I just didn't see anything worth staying for. Meanwhile, you- meanwhile, me packing up my stuff took every bit of, 10 minutes because for once I had everything organized really well. And then I'm sitting in camp by myself and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a nap. So I (laughs) I stretched out on the cot and I passed out and you're not like three and a half, four hours. And that ain't like like you. You don't, you (laughs) don't do that like me. No, I don't. So I I was kind of, that was kind of funny when you told me later, but so I'm sitting up there and I'm debating on getting down and you know, about, I, I, I toughed it out. I'm like, I'm going to give this at least till close to the end. Well, about 30 minutes to dark, um, maybe a little bit longer than that, maybe 45 minutes to dark. I hear, I hear rustling in front of me and I hear rustling to my right. And we, we're talking heavy leaf clutter over there. I mean, years worth of leaf clutter. I mean, it's, it's like an inch thick and it's super loud. So, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's just a squirrel because those little ground squirrels, it's- it's I so mean, thick you could lose half of your belongings in that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk, we'll get into that. Um, but those little ground squirrels were making so much noise all weekend. I mean, it was insane how loud they could be. And I thought, well, it's got to be a ground squirrel. And or is it Tom? Did Tom go a little bit faster than he said he was going to go? <laughs> he popped out of the woods to say hi. Could be. Um, so I look, and all of a sudden I see Brown. And it's working its way up a little divot right in front of me. I set up in the perfect spot. I had the perfect wind and it was coming right at my bow arm. So I was like, but it was coming right at me. And it was probably about, I don't know, I don't know, 30, 40 yards. So it's working its way for me. And it's a, it's a little dough. I mean, it's not a, not a big dough by any means. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I've earned this. I'm not, I'm not hunting horns. I, I, I don't mind shooting little, you know, littler deer. I don't mind shooting 
you know, I'm going to eat it. Um, and I didn't get a deer and, last and nothing, year. And nothing eats there better. Ain't, nothing eats better. And I said, you know, I, if I got to kill the young and dumb, I guess that's my place <laughs> in life. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, this shot's too good. It, it, it'll satisfy me. I'm going to take it. And I had my, just to remind you, okay, so I was hunting with my river raisin bow, my new long bow. And that was next in the rotation. And I had my ash arrows and my grizzly, my grizzly broadheads. And, and, you know, that's the setup I was running this year. So I came back to wood and I haven't, I haven't killed shot or killed an animal with a wood arrow since 2012. So it's been, it's been a bit. Um, and I, I squared up on this thing and she, and she was heading right at me and I said, okay, I'm like, she's either going to see me cause she's kind of coming upwards on a gradual slope, or she's going to quarter and head toward the field, which would have given me a broadside shot. So every time she put her head down to feed, she wasn't alerted or anything. I kind of, I got ready. You know, I got everything knocked and ready to go. And I got, I stood up and I, and I was on the platform ready to shoot and she was getting closer and closer. And she got to about, I'd say 15 yards, 16 yards and uh turned front leg came forward she was kind of bent up and um she turned to go out and i made kind of a crucial error here um for some reason so one of the first deer i ever shot i shouldered it so i've always got this thing with the shoulder you know i want to i want a double lung and you got to kind of follow that shoulder up and you know how it is. You got to do what you got to do. You got to pick that spot. And by the time the arrow gets there, it's probably going to be perfect. Well, I waited a fraction of a second or, you know, or a little, probably I, I waited probably 15 seconds actually too long. And I lined up on it. And to me, it looked like a beautiful shot. In fact, I told you coming out of the woods, I'd never made it that good of a shot on a deer where I actually saw it the whole thing track the whole thing from the bow to the deer and through ever before i'd never i'd never done that and i just threaded the needle on this thing and i thought what i had was an easy was an easy low double long like i thought i had that all day long and you know it i saw it hit saw it go through didn't see blood or anything but it kicked pretty good not like the heart kick or anything like that but she immediately doubled up and bolted back to where she came and I've tracked her running all the way back and she stopped probably about 30, 40 yards away um, behind some, uh, I think it was some dogwood or some olive. I can't remember what it was, but it, it was, but it was that Russian olive, that Russian olive. She stopped behind some Russian olive and I never heard her again. And then I heard some thrash, you know, I heard some brush move and that was it. And I'm like, okay, I just did it. I'm like, I just did it. I just got my deer. I'm like, I, I was confident. So I sat up there for about 10 minutes and then I said, well, might as well get down. I don't want to be up here after dark with no flashlight. Plus it'll got my knife. So, <laughs> so I, so uh, I, so I come out of the, I come out of the tent and I look over, you know, after my, my three hour nap, I felt real good, but I look over <laughs> and Nick's at his car and it was still pretty light. And I was like, got I, all my I, stuff. Forget I said, I said something like, you get bored or something like that, and you and you said, "No, I got I got I got a deer." I was like, you, you I, I, me. "I said you want to go." You were hunting for, across from camp. <laughs> I said you want to go for a walk. 
And and you said, why? And I was like, well, I got a deer and I want to get, I wonder if you want to go for a walk. <laughs> I'm yep. like, I forgot my knife and my flashlight. So I had to come back and get it. And what I wanted to do because I, I knew where the deer, well, I, I figured I knew where the deer went down. And I thought it was so good that the deer would be gone already by the time I got back. Because you know, it took me a solid 15 minutes to get out of the tree, pack everything up. Um, the day I was having, it probably took more like 25. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I never do. And I'm going to sneak back and I'm going to put my stuff away, grab my knife and my flashlight. And I'm just going to get this deer and drag it back into camp and sit there like nothing happened. You know, <laughs> I thought that would be a cool thing to do. Um, but it didn't quite work out that way. Then I saw you back at camp packing your car. And I'm like, I got to tell Steve. Steve's never been in camp with me when either of us has taken an animal. And I, I want to tell him. So I told you and we went walking back there. And by then it had gotten dark. And sure enough, we, you know, we... We saw blood. We saw a good patch of blood where I hit the deer. Yeah, that was funny. So there was there was a ton of blood right at the point of impact. Yeah, but then there was almost nothing. Then there was um, almost nothing, and then you found my arrow. Yeah, and well, I found the arrow, but then we when we started trying to, we couldn't find any blood. But you said you knew where she ran. I did, and that was the saving grace of it, really, because we'd have been on our hands and knees looking for blood had that yeah. not been the case. Um, and it was we, weird. We, we got to that Russian olive. We did find blood there at the at the, at the thick stuff. Well, let's back uh, up to I my think... arrow first because my arrow was really strange. My arrow, so the I, I I posted this picture in our Facebook group, and in, it's my ash shaft broken in half. It broke right along the grain. Right. And the weird thing of it was was that so the back end was in the leaves, broke off, and it was you know I had blood on it, and the front end was stuck in the ground, broke. So. It was weird. So I had a, it, it was a pass through, but it was kind of like, I, we figured what it was like a semi pass through where it had gotten all the way through, but she moved, cracked it in half right along that grain and then broke right. it off. Yeah. Um, but the grizzly was in the ground. So it, it did its job. So, okay. So yeah, we start trailing it. We were, we were getting sparse. And then we found some good blood on the edge of the woods. And then we found some good blood, a little bit better blood after that. Then we only saw some specks. Then it got a little better. Then it got a little better. And then, then we couldn't find any. And you go, oh, your deer's right over there. Well, so we, we didn't, we, we got that, we found that last blood, but we couldn't find, we couldn't find where she went into that thick stuff. And I said, I said, you stay right there. I'm just going to circle around because you could tell it was just like a pocket of these, these olives. Mm -hmm. And my plan was I was going to walk around the other side and just pick up blood once it you know, got back in the leaf litter on the other side of that, those, uh, those olives. And I walk around the corner and there's, there's the deer laying right there. She didn't go 40 yards nope. from, from the point of impact. So I was, um, I, now the weird thing is, is I, I thought for sure I had lungs and we didn't find any lung blood. So cause there wasn't any lung, there blood. wasn't any lung blood. So actually when we looked at the deer, what I thought was a perfect shot, you know, ended up being a little back because I waited and back and down. In fact, I'm lucky I didn't hit the guts. Really lucky because it, yeah, it, when it I, entered, I'll be honest, angle, I think I told I think I told you I don't know how you missed them, but you did. You went right through the liver, but you I, didn't touch. Gut. I did. I, I still don't know how. I obliterated the liver. Nice big hole, but I 
on both sides, but I didn't, I didn't hit any lung and I didn't hit the guts. It was just one of those shots that was unlucky, but lucky at the same time with a quick recovery. And it was really strange. And I, I was bummed about it because I was like, man, I thought this thing was great. But on the other hand, I've never killed a deer out of a tree stand. And I had to think about it. I thought I had killed at least one. I've killed deer on ridges before where I've shot downward but I have never killed a deer from a tree stand. So, and, and, you know, you've seen me shoot from an elevated position. I can do it. You know, we did tennis balls at your house and stuff like that. Yep. I'm a good shot yep. from a tree stand. I bend over like the way my, the way my shooting style is with that heavy cant. And I always bend at the waist and I, and I, I'm good at it, but it was my, it was my shot placement this time. I just didn't pick the right spot on the deer. I went too far back worrying about that shoulder and I needed to snug that up on the shoulder. And the way she was coming at me, it actually had turned that that little, that two or three inches turned to four or five inches with the way she was angled. So Yeah, your shot was perfect hard, vertically. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was. It was just a little back. I know, and I was pumped about it. Then I wasn't so pumped about it. But then I, then I felt better about it later. But, you know, it was a learning experience for me, and I won't make that mistake again. Um I mean, I didn't get jittery on the shot or anything. I knew right where I was putting it, but I, I got a little bit I got a little bit too in my own head about where I wanted to put the arrow. And I mean, it was kind of I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, and that's fine. And you know that and I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, this year when I when I practice putting my stand up and hiking it in and stuff like that in the summer, you know, I'll bring a couple arrows with me or whatever, some stumpers and I'll practice shooting, you know, a couple arrows and then bring it back down and head back in. Um, yep. and that's just what I got to do. Unless I can put a stand up in the maple in the back of my house, I could probably do that. But, um, so anyway, and then I got a little gutting lesson because every time I've ever cut, got a deer, I've been with a different person and I don't do it enough. I shoot a deer like every couple of years. So I've, and I didn't do it all my life. Like a lot of people did. Cause I didn't hunt when I was a kid. So I, I and you, really, and you're always with that person that just says, let me do it. And it yeah, exactly. They always just say, Hey, well, and then everybody's got a different way. <laughs> so they say, no, just give it to me. I'll do it. Or, Hey, do this. And so I'm like, at that point, Tom had found us. He had been walking around and he came down and he was, he was stoked. And I'm like, all right, Steve. I'm like, I'm going to gut this deer. But I want you to tell me what you would do and walk me through what your process is. But I'm gonna I'm gonna gut it. So you did. You walked me through it. It was a completely different way than what anybody else had showed me. Um <laughs> and uh I uh all I had was you know, I had my um I had my uh Lucas Forge knife too that you bought me. And that's the first time I'd ever really gutted a deer with it the whole way. So I got to do that, but you know, after you showed me how to work around everything and, and get up in there and, and I've had people tell, tell me to start up at the front. I've had people tell me to start up at the back. I've had people tell me to do this, this, and this. I've had people tell, you know, it's just, it, it, it's really interesting the way everybody does it. I've seen plenty of videos, but. Which, know, which way, which way of all the ways you've seen and be honest, you're not going to hurt my feelings. What's the easiest method you've ever seen? I got to say this one's probably the easiest. <laughs> Um, just because, you know, starting in the back and then, you know, just getting that out of the way. And I, you know, the biggest mistake, the biggest thing I learned and nobody's ever really showed me this is that, you know, they've told me you're putting too much point in, you know, you're going to get into the, you're going to get into the guts. Yep. And 
you you and Tom showed me to put my index finger up over the tip of the knife, and that way that can't happen. And also to hold it a little bit less of an angle than what I'm usually doing well, until so you need to get it. So, so everybody understands it's not up over the point. You're pa- you're basically yeah. letting the point of the blade, the back of the the spine of the blade, at the point rest about the middle part of the 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 tip of your index finger. Yeah, to stop you from getting into what you shouldn't be getting into. So basically you're yeah. you're letting the blade do the cutting while your your index finger is what's guiding underneath the the sheath inside that inside the animal. Um yeah. And yeah, so, I mean I, th- I I think it it's hard, you know, it's one of those things that's almost impossible to to explain on a on a on audio only medium, but um you know, I've gotten to where, and I will tell you this, the first time you do it by yourself, I mean, you had both time and I sitting there holding feet and so forth. And the first time you do it by yourself, it could be a little challenging. The one thing I would tell you, you know, I do keep some spare paracord in my pack all the time. And if you can get a spot where you're on a bit of a, a slope, not a steep hill, but a bit of a slope so that you can, you know, you tie either the back leg or the front leg to a sapling or something so that it's holding it upright mm-hmm. on that on that little slope and then you know once you get everything opened up then you can just let that leg down and just roll everything out i mean you kind of saw once you get everything detached it just rolls right out of the animal see and i did do the, the 2012 deer i did gut myself in the dark but i guarantee you that it wasn't as clean as all that was like i i know i did a lot of things wrong for one i didn't right. even go up through the rib cage i i just reached up and cut the esophagus and then you know kind of pulled i mean i was way up in there <laughs> right. and then pulled away my sleeves were all bloody um and uh i guarantee you that i that i punctured guts and all that stuff so it um but it was good i think i'll i think this one will stick i think uh just because it, the way you broke it down in pieces was really helpful just because i know i gotta go here i gotta when to bear down when to not bear down and i was actually yeah. really shocked at how easy that knife went through that rib cage at now, the top. That I mean, that that packer is a special knife. And yeah. between the between the, the spine and how sharp that knife is and cutting in the right place on that breastplate makes a big difference too. And in all honesty, you know, that was a smaller that was a smaller deer. So you get a you know, yep. you get a buck or a little bit older doe, it's a bit tougher, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And it's not something you can do like with a Havilon. Oh, which speaking of which, I have to apologize to John Moodry. I got him in trouble because I was telling him in camp how much I love my my Havilon um, replaceable folder knife that I use a lot when I'm I'm field dressing. And he went out and bought one, and uh, from what I heard, is <laughs> his wife fussed at him about it. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm sorry, John. But I didn't tell you to buy it. I just told you I liked mine, so it's really on you. No, getting John anyway. in, getting John in trouble is perfectly fine. He can get in trouble as much as we need to get him in trouble. <laughs> so I don't feel so sorry for him at all. Now, now I get to tell my part of this story. Um, <laughs> so we get the we get the Nick gets his deer dressed out, and then he and Tom both grab a leg, and away they go. They drag this thing the two hundred yards back to camp. And, uh, at some point in the next 15 to 20 minutes, Nick realizes he's misplaced his wallet. And I got, wait a minute, I got to back up before I sell that. So when we walk up 
Well, I was, a da- I, was find, a damn, I was a damn mess. You were. Before we have a walk up on the deer, we, we get to where he was hunting, and he points out the tree he was in. And the way he, he, he shows me the tree he was in was there wasn't a leaf on the ground <laughs> for a six-foot <laughs> diameter circle around this tree where you dropped your carabiner or something off now, your, now, hold, now, hold on. This is why. I will explain. I didn't mention this. All right. So, you know how those lone wolves got those got those hooks? Do you know how the strap oh, at the top? Oh, it was yeah. the hook for the, the, for the hook, stand you dropped. Those stupid hooks are in there loosely by the loop. And I've done this before. Well, most and, people don't know. Most people don't know what, what you're talking about. So, because that... A normal lone wolf alpha stand doesn't have that hook. You've just got a Versa button that strap goes to. But you've got a, honestly, it was the cheapest lone wolf you could buy because I bought that stand many years ago and gifted it to you. But this stand has a, it still uses the lone wolf strap, but you've got a metal, like you said, it's a metal hook. It's a double hook with a loop, yeah. It's, that you you put the strap on the tree first, and then you can actually hang the stand into the hook, and that hooks what you dropped. Yes, that it's it's dark green and extremely hard to see. I got it way up at the top. I where I was way up at the top. I had everything ready to go. I had the stand off my back and ready to put up. And I looked, and I'm like, "Where's the hook?" And I had to put everything back on and go down. And it, and I almost left because it took me 15 minutes, 20 minutes to find that hook. That's why there was not a leaf. It looked like Again, there was. A, it looked like there was a crop circle, all the way around <laughs> this tree. You could have gone out three foot in a full circle around the tree, and there's not a leaf anywhere because it looks like the damnedest turkey's been scratching around this tree. So that's how Nick shows me where the tree he was hunting is. It did. It looked now like, it looked like a crop circle, like there had been an explosion. Now then we. We find out, again, I find out later that he has misplaced his wallet. And I didn't know it at the time. You and Tom had actually already, or you and somebody had already been back out there to look, but you couldn't find where you gutted the deer. And I said, well, I had my GPS in my pocket, so the track was running, so I I know I can walk right to the gut pile, so let's go look. So back across the field we went. Um, We do. I walk right to the gut pile. And I don't even remember if you were with us then. I wasn't. But anyway, as soon as I walk up to the gut pile and we start looking, well, there's Nick's shooting glove. His leather archery glove is laying on the ground. I thought, well, you know, he probably didn't know he, he dropped this yet, but he'd probably need that again. Nope, had you no could, idea. You couldn't find the sheath for your knife right after you finished gutting the deer. We had to search for that. Yep. Um, so we, we scratched around there a little bit more. We couldn't find it. So I said, well, I'm going to walk back over to the tree. Maybe it fell out of his pocket. Um and I walk up on the tree, and the first thing I see is a wool glove laying on the ground. So, I mean, between you, you <laughs> dropped everything. <laughs> I mean, you were you were hyped, man. In my bo- in were, my in my bow toe, my bow the bow rope that got and the bow rope you, that had you a had stick stu- in it. Cause oh, it that's right. I forgot the the bow rope was stretched all over Kingdom Come because you'd gotten tangled up in it and just said to hell with it. Well, I just it. I just tossed the damn thing and I said I'm not going back for it. <laughs> And it had a tree branch in the middle of it because I had to break it off on the way down. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say you were – the good news is, Nick, you can look at this and say that just shows how excited you were about shooting your first deer. Well, I like to say that this is a random instance, but it's really not. Um, I'm I'm a pretty 
you know, and I, when I get excited, it gets worse, but I, I'm a pretty scattered guy. And, uh, when I get excited, I tend to make those, I tend to make those mistakes. I have to really, I have to really focus on, on that. But, um, the, the, the being amped up about, about the deer and, and all that. And plus, plus, you know, I got my buddies all around me and I'm looking, I look like an idiot and I didn't want to look like an idiot and I felt bad. And I was, I, and they were all looking and searching for me. I mean, we had like seven people out there looking for this wallet and yeah. like a search party. And, but I also have to tell you, like, it's not a wallet wallet. And th- see, at first I didn't think my ID was in it. I thought my driver's license, I thought it was just my tag. So I was really, I was mad about the tag, but I'm like, uh, I guess I'm just going to have to pay and, and explain it and all this other stuff and do what I need to do. But then I realized, see, I have this little credit card wallet thing that my buddy Aaron Fitzpatrick made me. He's got bearded guy leatherworks. And I said, can you make me something? I don't want to haul this wallet in with all my credit cards into the woods. I only want an ID on one side and I want my tag on the other. So he made me this cool black leather credit card looking wallet that's got one on one side and one on the other. Well, it's the skinny black thing. So I always keep it in my, my, the, left, the left leg pocket of my hunting pants. And I'm always padding that pocket to make sure I've got it. And I remember being up in the tree stand and going, I don't got my knife. I don't got my flashlight. Do I at least have my tag? Because if I don't have my tag, I got to go back. And I, I, it was in my wallet. And I was like, okay, I got it. And I'm, I'm good. I'm relieved. And it just wasn't there anymore. I got back to camp and padded it. So I it was somewhere between either like maybe getting my gloves out of my pocket or, you know, or it could have just fallen out when Tom and I were dragging the deer. Like it could have been hanging there and just fell out or whether I was gutting it. Like we checked that gut pile. We flipped it over two or three times because I was like, what if I dropped it in the gut pile? Huh? At this point, it doesn't matter. It's gone. It's gone. So anyway, I didn't get it, you know, but I was everywhere and I was, and that kind of, that really messed my night up because I was, I was happy and then it all came crashing down. But then I got happy again once we were all around the fire and laughing, but and like you said, you said something I won't ever forget. You said all of that is replaceable. Yep. And you're right. <clears throat> I got a new ID coming and everything's fine and it's not a big deal at all. You know, I'll have my buddy make me another wallet. Um, well, all of that's replaceable. The 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 memories of the the memories of that hunt are not replaceable. And you know, we always joke about that hunt on Cumberland Island. And that's exactly the same way this will hunt will be. You will remember this one longer just because of the crazy things that happened afterwards. So Exactly. And, you know, I'm writing a book called Clumsy Predators, and this is the perfect final chapter. Yeah, there you so go. It, it, it definitely fits. Everything happens for a reason. You know, I do I do funny Polak stuff out in the woods sometimes. You know, <laughs> that's what I did. Um, but, man, it was great. It was great to have all of that and experience it with you guys in camp, especially you, because we don't get to, you've never seen me shoot anything before. No. And, well, and, and you said it, I mean, we've, and I, so sorry to cut you off, but I will say the same know. thing. I, I wouldn't trade anything for, I wouldn't have traded that 10 point that I missed for, for that experience. Cause like you said, we've, we've hunted a lot together, but you know, just, never have had luck between us while we were hunting together. Now I've shot, I've shot deer out of the same stands that, that I hunted when we were hunting together a week later and even shot a deer a few years ago off the ground, like 10 yards from a tree you hunted for like two days. 
mm-hmm. within a few weeks of when you were been there, but it's just never, you know, at the same time. So it was really cool. Um, so just understand the the next time I hope it's me and you're dragging the deer for me. So, yeah, exactly. And you know, I got, and man, it's a good, it's a good taste in little deer. I got, um, I processed it when I got home and I, I'm actually pretty good at processing deer. I don't have a problem with that. And, uh, got it all processed. Took me about, you know, took me most of the day, but I really enjoy doing that. I like processing my own deer and putting podcasts on and just, you know, cracking a beer or two and just enjoying it and i did and it was it was a great weekend a great great camp great experience i'll never forget it yeah i'm a i'm a uh i need to get another one on the ground because i'll be honest i've been eating the heck out of the ones that i've already put in the freezer and you know with uh with it just being me now you know Lori was never a fan of venison so you know i always just kind of saved it for when i was going to be in you know a camp somewhere or um random times but now it just being me i've had i've had venison about every other day now for a couple of weeks so uh with the exception of last week you know being out of town so uh, yeah you know i need to get uh, another one in their freezer jess uh jess doesn't eat it kenzie doesn't eat it aubrey eats it um we've already had some venison burger and i we already ate the tenderloins um that's usually the first thing i do with butter is just make you know cook up the tenderloins right but um yeah, man, it. Uh, I'm the same. I'm gonna. I'm gonna eat through this deer pretty fast. <laughs> uh, well, and y'all've got. Uh, so right now your season's closed, right? No, no. I thought we, it was rifle season. I thought it was starting. a week before it opened up rifle. No, you can still bow hunt during rifle oh, okay. season. You you just can't take a um. You can't take a doe. No, 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 no. I was no, no, thinking wait. somebody said in camp that there was like a one-week cooling-off period between the end of bow season and the start of gun season. Maybe I misunderstood something. Oh, I'm not I'm not sure what that's all about. It was about. probably me. It was probably me. I'm not sure what that's all about. No, there's definitely a cooling-off period, but I recommended a cooling-off period or something like that. But I don't think it's – I don't – I'm not sure if it's, like, official. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. I'm not and sure. And like I said, I could have misunderstood. But then you've got a you've got a late bow season too, right? We do. We can we can hunt all the way up until um, you know, the first. So we got late season to look forward to and and whatnot. And uh, you know what I what I what I decide to do there, and you know is I I don't know yet. But to be honest, I want to try steelhead fishing too. So I got that in my mind right now. But. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking about some of that myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt through you know, our rut should be starting up now. Um I haven't been able to get out this week. I'm hoping to get out for a little bit this weekend. Bella Bella'll be coming home tomorrow evening and her uh twenty first birthday's this weekend, so that's going to take priority. I may you know, I may oh, try man. to get out just a little bit, but uh and then next next week if I get out much at all it'll have to be early in the week because I have to I have to go up to north carolina um for my middle daughter is having a wedding shower and i'm going up to see some family and bella's gonna hang out with her her stepsister for um most of the weekend so that's cool anyway um but i'm i'm i actually started getting some of my fishing stuff out uh earlier this week and and i'm probably going to be starting to hit some streams pretty soon myself even before deer season ends i've really got a I've really got an itch to go. Um, talking to Scott Spray again this week about um, 
think I'm going to get him to make me either one, possibly a match set of, of uh, five weight rods for some Western adventures Tom and I are talking about and planning, but uh, can't go down that road. We'll, we'll get into a whole nother episode and we're already almost an hour and a half into this thing. And I was actually trying to, to hold it to an hour. So hopefully it's been, hopefully the listeners enjoyed as much as I've enjoyed reliving a lot of this again. I think they will. It, it was, it was great. So I hope yeah. so. I'm just happy well, I got to tell it. Yeah, me too, buddy. I'm, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I was, I was there. That, that, that really made the, the whole, the whole hunt worthwhile and really looking forward to doing it again next year. Just, I can't say it enough. Just a great, great group of guys in the camp. Um, enjoy talking to every one of them and, and spending time with them and, and even, uh, uh, I don't know. I'll tell this real quick and then we're going to wrap it up. So I, I did talk to Jamie before I left and, and ordered, uh, a new, uh, timber stick bow from him. Um, and I'll give you some of the, some of the parameters we came up with Nick real quick. Cause I think you'll get a big kick out of the name. So I make it, I'm having him do this one 64 inches. The one I'm hunting with now is 66, um, targeting 65 to 70 pounds, um, just to get back to my normal, my normal hunting weight. And we're doing um, the old vintage brown, chocolate brown glass on the back of the bow. And we're doing white glass on the belly of the bow. Ooh. And I've already told him the name of the bow. He's going to be naming it Alter Ego for the contrast in brown and white. So, Oh, that's cool. I, like I it. thought so, too. I, I kind of came up with that while I was driving home. 12 hours in the car, you can come up with all kinds of cool ideas. You know what? You know what's funny? That... Um, so the bow I'm, the bow I hunted with this year, I, I got a GLLI. That's a, uh, Tom Moran built, um, it's a river raisin siren. It's a three piece long bow and it's 48 pounds, but at my draw, it's around 52. And that arrow I was hunting with is about 820 grains. I mean, it's a heavy arrow, but man, it zinged it. It, it performed really, really well. But you know, I always name my bows. That one does not have a name and nothing just came to me. <laughs> that's the first time i work on that man i know i got to think about it but i'm not going to force it i'm just gonna it'll come to me one of these days but it's funny i don't have a i don't have a name for it it's the first the first bow i've shot an animal with that i d- didn't have a name before i shot it so that's interesting but anyway very cool well let's wrap this one up bud um for everyone listening i hope uh i hope you've enjoyed reliving our adventures with us we had a we had a really good time last week and and glad to glad to share it with you folks. And based on a lot of the discussions that's been going on, there's going to be a, a lot of mini adventures like this coming up over the course of the next year. So hopefully there'll be some more uh, good content coming your way from those. And until then, we appreciate you listening in. Take care, everyone.